I know when you ask me about these injuries, and, and, and I give you my thoughts, if you really want to figure it out, I think Danny O'Neill has the best uh, translations for me. It is the dang apostrophe. Ooh, I got to wait for the music to fade out a little bit. It's the dang apostrophe. I'm Danny O'Neill. Appreciate you listening. This week, we're talking about gambling, but not the gambling story that you think. Calvin Ridley made a lot of headlines yesterday, or more specifically, the NFL suspension of Calvin Ridley. However, it is not the biggest gambling scandal, if you want to call it that, in the NFL this year. The biggest one is something that no one has paid attention to, and I'm puzzled about that. Because, really, a player casting a bet on games involving his own team, that's low-hanging fruit. That's easy. Everybody knows that's wrong. Calvin Ridley's an idiot for doing it. And while you can debate the severity of the punishment and point to some hypocrisy that on the one hand, the NFL is taking money from gaming sites or essentially bookmakers to promote legalized gambling, and on the other hand, suspending a player that has legally gambled, everybody knows you can't bet on games. Certainly not games in your own sport. And look, the NFL's rules include the Olympics and international competition, But the real issue that the NFL and other sports leagues are going to have to tackle is that as gambling and gambling advice becomes more woven into the fabric of sports media and just the the sports industry in general, how you keep people who make bets and people who advise people who are making bets from getting what would be considered inside information. And the reason that I say the Calvin Ridley story is not the biggest scandal, because about a month ago, there was a story in The New Yorker, which is not an insignificant publication. Uh, it's one of the the nation's top literary magazines, or nonfiction magazines, however you want it. It is one of the top long-form magazines in the country, published a story by Danny Funt, who we're going to talk to here in just a second. In part because his name's Danny, and I feel there's a need for some solidarity among Dannys, and in part because I was fascinated by this story. We recorded this interview last week. I reached out to Danny. We talked last week, and I expected to be posting this, not talking about Calvin Ridley at all, but simply talking about his story on Warren Sharp. And Warren Sharp is someone who I've, I've always thought is kind of a goofball, someone who rose to prominence over the past, I don't know, I would say six to seven years. And it's not that I'm a snooty media member who believes these young whippersnappers don't have much to contribute, but I thought he was someone whose ascension had more to do with his navigation of social media than it did with any insight or knowledge he provided. He presented himself as someone who was well-versed in gambling, was associated and advised gamblers, was part of a betting syndicate. I've generally found that the louder people are about that, the less the less prominent they actually are. That when they're trying to attract attention to themselves, it's because they want people to pay them for advice rather than actually just betting with the information they have. But those are all my, I don't know Warren Sharp. It's possible I've interviewed him in in my former job at the radio station, but I don't think so. I know we've played his sound before there, but I've generally thought he is one of the sort of expanded cast of characters in the media environment that's surrounded. And in reading... Danny Funt's story in The New Yorker, I realized that I sold his influence short. That that dude was paid by NFL teams to provide insights. He was a consultant. And I, I don't know how many of those things were acted on, but at least in one case, in a story that's spelled out in The New Yorker story, 
He got information from a dude or he he weekly talked to a play caller. Suggested that they target a specific backup tight end and then that backup tight end was in fact targeted in a game resulting in a touchdown and I am not a gambling expert. I actually don't actively gamble. I don't really like it. I like poker, but I'm not even currently playing right now. But I try not to be puritanical about it and say like, oh, it's all it's it's part of the sports world. It always has been. And now it's legal and it's become more sort of above the table instead of something that is occasionally acknowledged below. But it would seem to me if you have a person in Warren Sharp who is offering gambling advice, which he charges eight hundred and ninety nine dollars a year for for his subscription to his his betting advice in, in professional football. Is betting himself, he says he's affiliated with a a quote-unquote syndicate in Las Vegas, though he declined to give Danny Funt the details of how that worked. If he was able to suggest targets and people that should be spotlighted, that given the profile of fantasy football, given the opportunities to wager in-game on things, that would be valuable information to be able to pass on or to be able to bet upon. Yeah. That's why I think that Calvin Ridley betting on games, even those involving his own team when he wasn't playing, is not is not the most scandalous gambling revelation to come out this year. So with that, I'm going to go to the interview in which I talked to Danny Funt. Remember, this interview was recorded last week. I'm really grateful for him taking the time. He's a uh, an editor at The Week, and his story again appeared in The New Yorker, uh, which... I advise everybody to check out and and we'll be linking to prominently. How would you describe Warren Sharp, Danny? So he wears many hats and that's what's so interesting about him. There's probably no one who wears the same combinations of hats as Warren Sharp. So initially he was a professional football gambler, strictly the NFL. He did that for about 15 years. Uh, In addition to placing his own bets, he started this business where he gives um, betting advice to really sophisticated gamblers, you know, high stakes gamblers. And he went from that to working for some NFL teams right around when uh, states started to legalize uh, gambling, sports gambling. And now he also works for NBC Sports and The Ringer as kind of their gambling expert. So, yeah, media, betting himself, and working for teams all at once these days. What's so confusing or interesting about this is legalized gambling has changed a lot and the leagues have gotten in bed with the sports books. They, they've seen an ability, and I think what's driven it is the leagues have seen an ability to make money off of sports books, whether they're licensing or information from them. or But it also creates this, this possibility of those, those two entities for a long time sports leagues have have done everything they can to stay away from gamblers because of the potential for scandal. Mm-hmm. What drew you to to this subject in particular? Was it that potential conflict of influ- interest? It was. And just specifically, as you were saying, how there used to be these walls that were so rigidly enforced between the leagues, uh, the gambling community and media, you know, its role within that. And initially, I was interested in how um, basically the potential for the equivalent of insider trading in betting with journalists. So, you know, you could always bet on sports. There's been a huge black market outside of Vegas for 
a, over a century. But still, before it was easy to place a bit on your phone, um, that might have not been the easiest thing in the world for a beat reporter or whoever. And now that, you know, 20 states allow mobile sports betting and anyone can, can place a bet if they want to, um, I just wondered, like, you know, these guys, access is, you know, their defining trait. You know, they could easily place bets before reporting information and, and make a killing doing that. So that's what interest me, interested me. And then I spoke with Warren Sharp about that. And when I heard him say, you know, by the way, um, I'm probably the only guy who advises teams and is a gambler myself that, you know, set off reporter alarm bells. And I, I went down that road too. It's really interesting what you found there. I've always viewed Warren and I, I, I think we've interviewed him on the radio show I used to work on. I know he appeared on that station several times. My view of him was always that he's kind of a blowhard that exaggerated his his qualifications and his expertise as a lot of people in in what's termed the gambling space now, which I realize all these guys, I've just spent two days around all these guys. They all talk about it as the gambling space. It's the gambling space. What you have to understand about the gambling, but that he exaggerates his qualifications because he wants people to trust his picks. What I, I was floored because in your story, he clearly has worked for NFL teams and is in fact close with at least one coach. He, he does, he does have direct contact with people within the league. Yeah, no, it's it, that that he's not lying about. Um, I'm not saying he's lying about anything, but, you know, draw your own conclusions. But he definitely does have um, paid jobs uh, with NFL teams. That part's wild because there's a scene he describes where it was like a third string tight end catches a touchdown pass and he celebrates with his son because he had told the coach or advocated to the coach that this is a player that needs to get used more. And immediately when I read that, I was like, if you knew that before that game was going to happen, it, there's huge opportunities for a gambler to use that information to benefit. There's just no doubt in my mind. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> what did, was there a reaction from people around the league or others you talked to about the dangers of that? Yeah, um, a lot of people who work for teams, I spoke with a lot of people who work on the analytics side because mm -hmm. um, that's sort of the world that, that Warren's entered. And they're just incredulous. Like this is in their eyes, a blatant conflict of interest. Um, how could the league enforce its gambling rules for all staff, not just players and coaches so intensely and allow this to go on it? And, and this guy talks about it so publicly. Um, and then there are other people who are incredulous that he's doing the stuff he says he's doing. Either they say he's not really betting or he's not really working for teams. And I hope from reading my piece, at least we can put that to rest that, no, he, he really is um, doing all this stuff at once. It's, it's really well worth a, a read just because of the insight into this is a problem that hasn't been solved before. And one of the people that you sought out was, was Mark Cuban. And I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but they hired a, a guy who was a well-known gambler and someone who worked at it. And he became, he was on the bench. He was one of their assistant coaches, but a big part of it was you, you can't do any betting while you're doing this. Like Mark, Mark's, Mark's a sharp guy. And I thought that was an interesting parallel because 
some of the the people that come from a gambling background are going to have information that could be useful, especially as teams become more interested in analytics. But there have to be firewalls set up, I would think. Yeah, I mean, in you know, they're quite literally putting their money where their mouth is. And in order to beat Vegas, which is, you know, so difficult uh, at that scale and, and betting with that frequency, you have to be, you know, a, a data expert and, you know, a quant and a master of this type of analytics stuff that all teams are now desperate to embrace. So Cuban saw that early with this guy named uh, Bob Volgaris, who's no longer with the Mavericks. And that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, I think there's there's no question that the Warren Sharps and Bob Volgaris are going to populate, um, you know, franchises more and more. One of the things that I did not know until I read your story was that Warren Sharp is a it's not a nom de plume, right? Because that's for a writer, but yeah. it's a, it, it's, it's, it's not his real last name. It's not what he used before he went into the gambling space. And I love stories when you get to a point where you're like, Oh, Oh, the reporter found out something the subject does not like. And it was clear in reading the story that Warren Sharp did not want, he, he wanted to be known as Nor Warren Sharp and nothing else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, secrecy is like um, deeply rooted in the gambling community. You know, other guys don't like to even say where they live, don't like their name reported. Uh, I quoted one sportsbook operator who said, you know, the most successful gamblers are the ones you've never heard of. And there's a reason for that. So, yeah, um, once I found out that Warren Sharp is a pseudonym, that led to a whole bunch of stuff that I'll tell you off the air. But uh <laughs> Yeah, um, he's definitely created a public persona, that's for sure. Are you a gambler? Or are you interested in gambling? I'm a um, fantasy football player. Uh -huh. um, my buddy for like two decades now. Um, I, I found I was going through notebooks um, and in third grade, I found like a little daily entry I had to do for class. And I was like, uh, you know, there's this thing called fantasy football that I'm starting with my friends. So, yeah, I love that. Uh, but I'm not not a gambler in a serious way. And I realize just knowing uh, myself that that I could get sucked in way too fast. So I'm going to not even, you know, go go there because I know where it could lead pretty it's, quickly. It, it's funny. I I enjoy reading about gambling. I enjoy I do like playing poker like low stakes with friends. I enjoy that game, but sports gambling, while I'm keenly interested in it, I have zero interest in doing it. Like I'm a terrible oh, blackjack player. Yeah. I don't, I don't like casino gaming at all. Um, in some of it is sort of, there's a little bit of addictive personality, but it's really more that I don't enjoy it. Even when I'm winning or have been up, it's so excruciating for me that it's then by far trumped by the downs of when you lose and just sort of the self-loathing that comes with that. Like I'm just, it's not a pleasant activity for me, but I'm fascinated to watch, especially how it plays out here. It, it as, I mean, it's what, what I think you said, 20 states where mobile gaming is legal. I think it's 30 states now where some form of betting on sports is legal. Like it's clear that tide. Texas and California haven't gone legal yet but i think that's probably coming but it is going to have a, a social impact too because there there is going to be more problem gambling and i think that some of the ways that the betting is is impacting it will go that 
and then it's going to affect the sports because sports in in this case are are getting in they're taking money from the sports books as well and i think it's going to change sports as we watch it is that the, the leagues are going to have to deal with this yeah i mean i don't I, i'm sometimes i feel tempted to be kind of a puritan about this and then i realize no one wants to hear that but it's sort of like have you ever been to a basketball game where there's like if the team gets a hundred points, everyone gets free Taco Bell or whatever. Yes. <laughs> no, the crowd is like on its feet cheering in a blowout in the fourth quarter. And at first it doesn't make any sense. That's kind of what could happen with gambling. If everyone's placing bets on their phones and that just creates a whole weird new, new way of experiencing games. It's I hadn't even thought of that. It's a great point because forever there have been point spreads. They've been published in newspapers, but they're not acknowledged by the sports teams. And is it wrong for a team that's up six and the spread is seven to try and score on that last possession? Where now when we see it, they, they just dribble out the clock usually, right? There's no, you don't need to win by more. But the spread's now incorporated increasingly into the conversations about the game. The leagues in some way are tacitly. I hadn't even thought of that. You're like, come on, you got to cover. That's, that's really wild to think about. Yeah. I mean, it sounds at first like ridiculous to think a, a coach would care about covering the spread, but then you think about, you know, they might leave in a guy to get a, a triple double mm -hmm. or, you know, Oh, you're, I remember John Harbaugh wanted to keep some rushing, like the Ravens had run for a hundred yards and, and he wanted to keep the streak alive. So he did that. So guys think about stats and affect decision-making because of it. So is it that far-fetched that they would try to cover the spread and make their fans happy? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, the last question I have for you, and Danny Funt is the guest here. Uh, you can read his work at The Week and the profile in The New Yorker, which I'll link both in, in the podcast as well as, as well as below the YouTube clip here. Um, it's really, really worthwhile. What's the reaction been to your piece? Uh, it's been good. I was really happy that The New Yorker published it because, you know, on, on the surface, it's this, like, in-the-weeds article about a gambler in football it's not their bread and butter but it is as you as we've been saying something that's gonna transform the way we experience sports and this guy's just a example of how unpredictable and unsorted out this whole new world is um so yeah i've been happy that people who aren't sports fans or or betters or football fans or whatever um have found this intriguing and then as far as the people who do follow this stuff really closely, um, there have been a lot of people, especially on social media, don't care for Warren Sharp and have some of the the feelings that you did. So whether they thought I was, uh, you know, kissing up to him or tearing him down has been interesting because, as you know, um, a lot of times people dump on a piece before they've read past the headline. So <laughs> I try not to get worked up about that. Yeah, it's a really good piece because it is like I I said I kind of thought Warren was full of it. I read through it. It's it's fascinating. Like he clearly he clearly works in a space that I didn't realize. Like he does have contacts with teams and and it creates what I came away with it is like the NFL's got to they've got to they've got to make sure that their coaches and their employees know that they can't 
they can't interact with professional gamblers in that way. You can't take information from someone who is making bets. Yeah, as Cuban said, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So there you go. He is Danny Funt. Danny, it's really, it's good to talk to another Danny, like a little solidarity. Uh, oh. But it's also, I, I really appreciated your time and your expertise. Thank you, Danny. This is fun. That is going to wrap up this edition of the Dang Apostrophe. I'm going to be posting another episode later this week. I'm scheduled to talk to Kurt Streeter, who is a columnist at the New York Times. I want to thank Danny Funt for, for joining me for that conversation. I want to thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Pete, send us out. When you ask me about these injuries, and, and, and I give you my thoughts, if you really want to figure it out, I think Danny O'Neill has the best uh, translations for me. Here.